Hey, Dylan Kelly here, host of the Wave Break Podcast. Excited to get into this episode, but first, here's a quick word from our sponsor. If you're looking to grow your business, there's only one way, and that is by building real quality customer relationships. Most marketing software will claim they do this, but they never deliver on their promises, and you need to demand more from your marketing software. And that's where Klaviyo comes in. Klaviyo helps you build meaningful customer relationships by listening and understanding cues from your customers, allowing you to easily turn that information into valuable marketing messages. And that's why 10,000 innovative brands, including all of our clients at Wavebreak, have switched to Klaviyo. Now, What's the secret to building those customer relationships? Tune in to Clavio's Beyond Black Friday docuseries to find out and unlock exact marketing strategies you can use to keep momentum going all year round. Just head over to clavio.com slash beyond BF for more. Link is going to be down in the show notes below. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Wavebreak Podcast. I'm your host, Dylan Kelly, founder and owner of Wavebreak. And if you're new here at Wavebreak, we help e-commerce stores maximize their email revenue and stop leaving money on the table. And I have a confession to make. I am addicted to Sprite Zero. It is so good. And because it's zero calories, like I drink a ton of it. I bought a case the other day and it really lasted like a couple days. It's bad. Anyway, that's my story for today. Uh, I drank a ton of Sprite Zero this week and I I don't regret it. It was really delicious. Um, Highly recommend it. It's a really, I don't know. See, I'm so used. I've been drinking zero, like zero sugar sodas for the last year. So I'm kind of like used to them. They don't taste bad to me, but so I can say like they do start to taste good if you don't like it. And the best part is that Obviously, it doesn't have the added calories and sugar and stuff. And I'm sure it's still not, you know, (laughs) as good for you as like water. But even water nowadays, like, I mean, be careful where you get it, right? I mean, I guess that can't even be good for you. But anyway, um, yeah, so that's my story of the day. Normally, I relate it to our email checklist that we have. But um, yeah, it's just go get our checklist if you haven't. It's emailsuccesschecklist.com. And 99% of e-commerce stores are doing email marketing wrong. And this checklist will show you how you're doing it wrong and give you a roadmap to fix it. And you can get it at emailsuccesschecklist.com. It's that easy. So yeah, that's that. <laughs> if in, Yeah, anyway. So today on the show, I'm really excited for this episode because today joining me is Steven Sashin, returning guest. He's been here before. Thanks so much for coming on the show, Steven. Thank you. When you said it that way, I felt like it was like, you know, like a cage match, you know, a returning champion, a returning champion with yeah. a record of 25, three and one with the, uh, I forget how fast your, your running is, but with really fast running <laughs> in the, <laughs> maybe the fastest Jew over 55 in the world. Steven, <laughs> I'll, I'll stop myself there before I that was good. I go off. But um, some sort of trademark violation or copyright know, problem. Yeah, it's funny because I did that one time, like back when I first launched the podcast. I think it was like January. What was last year? Twenty eighteen? Is it twenty? It's twenty nineteen, right? So I, I don't don't even ask me. It's too frightening to even contemplate. Yeah, it's kind of scary. Not this January. Not this year's January, but the one before that. When I launched the podcast, I remember one of my friends was like, he was like, "Man, you got to add a little bit more, you know, oomph 
to the intro. Like, you don't feel like yourself. You seem so robotic. I'm like, okay, so I literally did one, like, in the, um, you know, the whole, like, boxing announcer voice. <laughs> I sent it to a few people, and they're like, yeah, definitely don't do that. And I'm like, are you guys sure? I think it could be really funny. And they're like, yeah, no. So, but hey, it finally made it over, like, a year wait, and a half on, into the podcast. Wait, you could do this one. You could do this one. <clears throat> wait, hold on. <clears throat> in a world where podcasts become ubiquitous. <laughs> I love it. I wish I could do that. I like. I don't think I have the voice. I, I did. A, I did a bad version of it, but you know where I was going. In a, yeah, I can't. I can't go. I in can't. A, in a world. Oh, that was better. In a world. That was it. This is say like. Can you say like something about the Waybreak podcast being like one of the best podcasts in that voice? In a world. No, I can't. I can't get past in a world. In a world. Okay. Well, that's the yeah. only line that we remember that those guys say anyway. Right. Yeah. No, <laughs> in a world. Well, anyway, in a world where I interviewed on the podcast before, I mean, it's over a year ago now. Um, well, I guess first things first, back up a little bit. For the people who don't know you, who are you, Stephen? Who do, who, the people who missed the last episode. <laughs> oh, that is a big metaphysical question. I don't know. Uh, so I am the co-founder and CEO of Zero Shoes. That's X-E-R-O shoes.com. I'm a serial entrepreneur. I've never actually had a job. Uh, I've uh, done a whole bunch of other stuff. Is that helpful? Yeah, I think that's good. Uh, they do really cool shoes and stuff. Oh, yeah. So our shoes, yeah, I'll, I'll do the, the world's fastest pitch. Um, if your feet don't feel better at the end of the day than they did at the beginning of the day, it's because you're wearing the wrong shoes. Uh, basically, you're believing the things that, quote, big shoe tells you about how to have comfortable, happy, healthy feet, which is frankly a bunch of lies. And I know that sounds like a conspiracy theory, but the simple thing is your feet are supposed to bend and move and flex and feel the world. And most shoes actually squeeze your toes together and elevate your heel, which messes with your posture and put a bunch of foam between you in the ground so you can't feel anything and makes you actually unbalanced and zero shoes is the exact opposite so everything we do is about natural letting your feet bend and move and flex and feel with nice wide toe boxes low to the ground for balance and agility super super comfy uh, the soles give you just right protection but also the feedback that your brain needs to know how to control the rest of your body well they're so lightweight you might forget you're even wearing them we've literally had people get into bed forgetting that they were still wearing their shoes um, and the soles have a 5,000-mile warranty. So they're super durable, super comfortable, super affordable. And you can find them at zeroshoes.com. How's that? That's awesome. I think I have to charge you for a sponsorship now. <laughs> no, just um, but yeah, we'll link them up down in the show notes below. But yeah, Stephen came on last year uh, around – I think it was around July. And um, we basically talked about hiring strategy and how he grew the business to where it was last year, which was uh, – I believe – I mean, you were a seven-figure store then, right? Yeah. We have been for a few years. Right. So fast forwarding to now, or I guess before we fast forward to now, do you remember like where the business was last year around this time? Like, Oh dude, I don't remember what I had for breakfast. Um, so let's see. Um, I can do it in a slightly different way because um, this is public information. We did an equity crowdfunding raise in 2017, which means we have to file reports with the SEC twice a year. And so I don't remember what we said our Q2 revenue was from last year, but I can just say that last year we did uh, just shy of 9 million. So about 8.8 .8 million last year. So let's assume for the fun of it, we are somewhere, you know, a little north of half of that by uh, July of 2018. Nice. Awesome. And so like, what about team size? How has that grown over the last year? Uh, again, I, I, I don't keep track of like the growth things, but all I can tell you is that we're 34 right now and we're bringing on a couple more soon. Wow. 34. That's awesome. And yeah, that's that's great growth. And I remember you saying last time all the numbers were public, and I believe we did 
or I didn't get it linked up in the show notes in time because I couldn't find the right link. I think we both couldn't oh. find the right link. Well, here, if you if you go to zeroshoes.com, again, xeroshoes.com slash SEC, then it links to the SEC website where all of our publicly available information is located. Oh, perfect. Okay, so slash SEC? Yep, and that'll just redirect you to the SEC website for with our stuff. Okay, wonderful. Yeah, I'll link that up down in the show notes. So we kind of talked about where you've been, where you've come along. It's like in the last year business has grown, the team has grown. What has been like, what would you say has been like one of the biggest problems you've faced as you've grown the business over the last year? Um, if you asked me this question last year, I'm going to give you the same answer this year as our, as the primary answer, which is lack of capital. So when you're growing as fast as we are with a product business where we are our number one supplier, because we're primarily a, a digital business or an e-commerce business, uh, finding the cash to bring in enough inventory has, is huge. And we didn't have enough again this year and ran out of inventory on some of our best selling products. Uh, and, and managing the growth has been related to that. And, and these things overlap. There's a nice Venn diagram of not having enough capital and then generating the revenue we need and how the product or the, mm, the channel mix is, is changing. So quick story, REI, uh, the outdoor store picked us up in February. They called for an in-season order and said, let's get some sandals in here by April. And they ordered about, uh, well, I'm, I can't get out these numbers. They ordered a, a lot. And in between the, the first and second shipment of that order, they placed another order. And then in between the second and third shipments of that first order, they placed another order. And then after the third shipment, they called and said, we want the rest of this product. And they moved us from 36 to 84 stores uh, around the country. And that's good news in the long run. But what it meant is I took one of our best-selling products and gave it to a wholesale account rather than selling it directly, which meant we lost margin in the process. So that further uh, affected our, our cash flow and what we need to buy inventory for 2020 and beyond. So cash is the number one thing. And then I guess the easiest thing I can say is when you're kind of at the stage that you're that we're at, um, things just get exponentially more complicated. We've got a lot of interest in Europe and dealing with European employment law and taxation and everything that's going on with the EU, that's a whole level of, of challenge and difficulty that we are trying to manage. And then there's the stuff that you can never control that we've been affected by this year. And that is we were, how do I want to put this, tangentially affected by the threat of tariffs and, and, and actually by the tariffs themselves. And what I mean specifically is that in the end of 2018, there were a lot of companies who were concerned that the administration was going to bump up tariffs from products being imported from uh, China yet again. And they were terrified. So they brought in as much as they could at the end of the year, trying to speed that up and make sure they had product before the, the taxes went up. What that meant is that there was a lot of containers sitting at the port of Los Angeles or port of Long Beach, and ours were some of those containers. And there were so many containers of product that the shipping companies couldn't keep up with it and stuff was just getting delayed. We lost, oh man, six, eight weeks worth of selling because the product we were supposed to have in January didn't show up till the end of February. And there's some possibility that something similar, actually something similar is already happening because there are companies that are worried about more tariffs coming uh, on board. And so they called the factories that we use as well and said, we need our product sooner rather than later. And they got their production bumped up and ours pushed back. So that's, you know, one of those out of control or uncontrollable beyond your frame of reference uh, macroeconomic things, if you will, that have definitely affected us for this year. 
Yeah, not fun at all. Um, yeah. Oh, definitely very high on the not fun scale. If oh, you, yeah. If you, yeah. Well, I think it's funny, too, because, like, so many people probably, you know, they, like, hear the numbers you're doing or, or, or whatever, and they're like, oh, man, that'd be so sick. Like, I wish I ran that. And it's, like, what you don't see is, like, all the million things like that that happen, you know, every every year, every quarter, <clears throat> every month, every week, those kind of things. Well, even more, when you – I don't want to put this – the the skills and talent and requirements uh, that a well at least I, that was a bad way of doing it let's try it, let's try it semi intelligently <clears throat> what it takes to get a company to a certain level is often very different than what it takes to go from that level to the next one and you, the skill set you may have that allows you to go from one level to the next may not be the one that's necessary for the subsequent level and that pretty much continues with brands from from the day they start till the day they become multi-billion dollar companies. Um, I was at an event the beginning of this year with this put on by our attorneys and I was by far the poorest guy in the room and I was also the only one who was a founder. And so I'm hanging out with these guys who are running these billion dollar companies and when I was introduced as a founder, they all came up to me and were incredibly congratulatory and these guys who were running billion dollar companies said, we couldn't do what you did. And I was sort of taken aback by it, yeah. but I, but I can't do what they do. Right. So it was really, it was a fascinating conversation. Yeah, that, that is really interesting. Um, and, and speaking of people with a lot of money, um, I'm curious, like speaking of jumping back to the lack of cash for like inventory mm-hmm. and things like that. So I know you guys, you guys have raised some money before. So like, what is your solution to that? So obviously that's a big deal. And a lot of e-commerce um, businesses go through this, but how are you dealing well, with you this? Well, you know, we, we hired all those extra people so they could go sell plasma. And that's our number one financing strategy is uh, that. And uh, Right. Yeah. This episode is going to blow up now. <laughs> we, the, the secret marketing hack that allowed Zero Shoes to grow, what is it, like 617% over the last three yeah, years. Yeah. It's bring on people and sell their blood. Plasma. Um, that's the secret we, marketing we, hack. <laughs> we, we've done a number of things and we're still doing them. So we, we very happily, you'll see if you look in the, the data, on the SEC website. I got a $2.3 million loan from JP Morgan Chase Bank um, and then a, a follow-up line of credit from them. So I, I, I guess the easy answer is my wife, who is our co-founder and CFO, her almost full-time job is trying to find people who have cash at reasonable terms. And we it's a never-ending prospect. And, and again, we did this crowdfunding raise in 2017 that was very successful. And people say, well, why don't you just do that again? And the answer is because it's really time-consuming uh, and we're so busy, we just don't have the, the manpower to manage that. And depending on which platform you use to do the crowdfunding raise, you typically don't get the money until the raise is complete. And we need the money sooner rather than later. So we're, we're talking to a lot of people. We had a, a local family fund that had done some debt finance, debt financing for us early on. And we contacted them and because of other things going on with the economy, they are kind of, uh, hungry for deals. So they were thrilled that we called them and they're willing to help us not at the best terms, but again, you know, you do what you need to do. Uh, and we're, I mean, Lena is literally just constantly beating the whatever one beats to try and find uh, cash or with the existing people that we're working with people we've worked with in the past and and new people as well got it yeah that makes sense um and i feel like that's a side of e-commerce that like people don't really talk about this like having to find cash and, and raise money and things like that the the two things that on any business and on any growing business that are the biggest challenges are always capital and talent 
I mean, end, end of line. And and people love to pretend that um, that there's a solution out there, that there's some easy answer for how to find the cash and some easy way to hire the right people, whatever that means. Um, it's just not true. These will these are always and always have been and will always be the two biggest challenges. Got it. Um, if a listener is like in a similar position as you, where you know they have a lack oh, of that's cash, so silly. There's no, oh wait, sorry. What? <laughs> what would you What would you recommend they do? Like, how would you even get started with this? Like, do you just hire that CFO oh, role, or what does that look like? I I I can't answer that because the way we've done it has been an, this organic thing. We've been real. <clears throat> excuse me. I don't know what's caught in my throat. We've been really really lucky in that we've just spontaneously met some people who've been very helpful. Uh, but if I had to start today, I, I don't have a good answer. Our, our loan from Chase is an SBA backed loan and that had its own challenges and is fraught with peril in various ways. Uh, um, the, the problem with banks is that fundamentally they're trying to loan based on what you did last year and you're trying to project and get money based on what you're going to do next year. And so we were very lucky that we, we actually got uh, solicited by a banker who wanted us to engage with some banking product that they had, and it wasn't right for us. But then when we told him what was going on, he said, oh, I need to introduce you to this guy. And we've just been really, really lucky that we've had some very strong supporters within the bank who were willing to go to the mat for us and, and frankly, get them to bend the rules a little bit. So I, I guess the real answer to your question is whatever it takes as much and as often as you can. But it's, um, boy, if you need to get friends and family money, get friends and family money. If you need, you, what Lena is always trying to do, that's my wife's name. What Lena is always trying to do is have the cash in advance of when we need it. Usually we've been able to do that. Sometimes we have to place an order and then kind of cross our fingers that between now and when we have to pay for the order, we figure out a way to get the cash. Um, but we're in a position right now, or we're in a situation right now where we're probably going to be taking some deals that were we not growing so quickly and needing money so soon, we otherwise wouldn't take. And we're not desperate, but we're definitely not as picky as we were six months ago. But no, that makes total sense. And I'm curious, like looking back now, now that it's been a while since you guys have raised that that round from the public, like would you do that again today? I mean, obviously you said it's a lot if of we, work, so you wouldn't. But like looking back, yeah. would you do it again? Oh, absolutely. And if we had the time to do it now, we would definitely do it. I, I had two people call me yesterday who just about mm, customer service related something or just I can't remember what the conversations were. But at the end of the conversation, they said, if there's a chance to invest again, please let me know. And we've got a lot of people in that situation. So so we love the idea of doing equity crowdfunding. I will give you the secret to doing equity crowdfunding. You need to have a crowd. You don't want to try and build one by giving away equity in your company. Um, really unreliable. It's been very unsuccessful for the majority of people who've tried that. But if you have a crowd of rabid followers, which is happily what we did, uh, then equity crowdfunding is great. And it's something we loved the idea of continuing to do successive rounds until possibly some sort of, uh, not crowdfunded IPO, but private IPO, which would have been really interesting. And we're still intrigued by that. I'm not saying it's off the table, but the, um, 
A, you need to be the right kind of company to do it, and B, you need to be the right kind of situation to continue doing it. The problem with equity crowdfunding is that there's no secondary market. People, when they buy shares in your company, it's a privately a private uh, transaction. They can sell shares back to you if you're willing to take them or if you have the right of first refusal to buy them back. Or uh, they can sell them to friends or family, but you can't just trade them on a market right now. And there are people who are trying to solve that. Once you can take equity crowdfunded shares or privately held shares from a company and trade them the way you would trade any publicly traded company, the whole universe is going to change. And we love the idea of being part of making that happen because we think making it possible for non-accredited investors, in other words, not predominantly rich white guys, people who know and love what you're doing, who want to support you, giving them the opportunity to do that and then profit from that, we think is a very big deal and very important. And we want to do everything we can to, to help uh, encourage that. Right. Yeah. I, I, I mean, everything you're saying sounds, you know, I mean, smart. Uh, like, don't. Oh, that, that's an accident, but okay. <laughs> it's just, it just sounds smart. No, just kidding. <laughs> no, no, no. But I, I mean, it makes total well, sense. Well, like, sorry. you don't want to jump the gun on this stuff, especially with like, you know, if you're going to do the crowdfunding. Like, yeah. don't try to, I like how you said, don't try to build the crowd. Cause it's like, I, I know there's going to be people listening who are like, oh, that's the thing I've been missing. The crowdfunding. It's like, mm, right. well, no. Well, and again, let's make sure we're, uh, I want to be clear because some people get confused about this equity crowdfunding where you're, you're getting money from people who are investing in your company and getting shares in your company is different than Kickstarter where you're basically just pre-selling a product with the hope that you're going to be able to produce the thing. Uh, very different thing. And even then with a Kickstarter campaign, a product crowdfunding campaign, you still ideally want to have a crowd before you engage in it because that's what gets the ball rolling. And for people who who do product crowdfunding, they know that that pre-sale process is probably the most important part. So what am I trying to say? No, I, I just Friday brained, uh, lost my train Tell of thought. Tell me about it. Um, uh, what was what were we talking about? Uh, oh yeah, remember, remember when you said that sounds smart? What you just did is the opposite of that. <laughs> <laughs> I know, and I'm and I have the easiest job to sound smart. I just ask the questions. <laughs> I literally just sit here and like, okay, cool. Tell me more about that. And then it's like I sound smart, right? That's what like people are like. Oh, that guy's so smart. I'm like, Dude, don't, he's, he's you're a giving away host. all your secrets. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, Maybe I, I'll have this part edited out. No, yeah, just kidding. Don't actually edit this part out. It's funny. It's good. No, seriously, edit that out. <laughs> actually? <laughs> anyway, uh, so moving on. So we've talked about where you've been, where the business has gone. Uh, we, we dove into the financing aspect of things. Now I want to fast forward a bit to the future. Uh, what's on the Zero Shoes pipeline, like looking forward for the rest of 2019? Well, Fundamentally, our big umbrella mission is pretty straightforward. We're trying to make natural movement and natural movement footwear the obvious, better, healthy choice the way natural food currently is. Or the way I like to say it sometimes is I'm trying to become the gluten-free of footwear. And so everything that we're doing is about just getting more people to have the experience of what it's like to get out of big, thick, padded motion control shoes that squeeze your toes together and don't let you feel the ground and have the opposite experience because it really is eye-opening and life-changing. We're launching a bunch of new products between between now and the end of the year, we are, um, I've got a handful of different 
advertising strategies that I'm looking to start testing that I'm actually very excited about. And I'm hoping that we can uh, find um, a way of doing that uh, related to making natural movement the obvious better healthy choice like natural food. If you think about the the levels of awareness that people have, the whole there's this whole idea of the funnel of awareness. People start unaware of who you are, then they become uh, problem aware. They're aware they have some problem, then they're solution aware. They know there is a solution. Then they become brand or product aware. Then they eventually buy the product, and then they're evangelists, and you try to do things with them. We have a lot of people who are. Um, let's call it solution aware. They're hip to the idea of natural movement. And we have a lot of people who are brand or concept aware. They get the idea. There are companies like ours who do natural movement footwear. There's really only a couple. There's a bunch of people who say they are, but they aren't. That's a whole other story. But everybody wears shoes and everyone is pretty much wearing shoes that they mostly hate. And so I think we can move up the funnel, if you will, to people who don't even think they have a problem, uh, who aren't even, who, who are beyond unaware of anything. They're literally just not even thinking about footwear. And if we say something to them, or if we start a conversation kind of like I did before, which is, you know, do your feet feel better at the end of the day than they did at the beginning of the day? That makes people think about their feet when they hadn't been necessarily in a way that makes them kind of curious. And if I can take that and turn that into the conversation about why they have that problem and why there is a solution that's different than what they've had. And oh yes, by the way, this is what we do and exactly why we do it better. I think we can really open up the entire market uh, to, in a significant, to a significant degree. And I'm never going to say, cause this is what bad marketers say. We sell our products to everybody. It's technically true that everybody wears shoes. It's also practically true that there are certain segments that are more amenable to what we're doing than others, but it's much, much larger than I think anyone has uh, entertained before. And the, the new advertising campaigns that I'm thinking about cater to that. And I'm, uh, and so that's a big thing is to find out what we can do that can scale even further and even better with a positive return on our ad spend and our investment, uh, leading us into 2020. Yeah, that's awesome. And it's been really cool to watch your company like grow like over the last year and even before that, just because I mean, you do a lot of stuff like this happen on podcasts and you're really transparent about everything. Um, so it's really cool to kind of like see like before it happens, like to hear your perspective on things and kind of where things are headed, um, which well, is super cool. Well, thanks. Well, you know, there's another thing that I'm going to add to it, which is that we're, I, I alluded to this before, we're really gearing up for 2020 on the wholesale side. Our wholesale business had been a small piece of what we've been doing, but now that's expanding again with REI and the commitment they're making. We just came back from Europe and at a trade show and in, in America, this whole idea of natural movement, it, there's a seeming debate. There's not really debate, but there are people who make a fake debate because they don't want you to think that what we're doing is makes sense because uh, they make a lot of money doing the opposite of what we're doing. In Europe, there's a very different flavor where people really believe in this and it makes total sense to them. And there isn't the same kind of argument going on. It's more a question of, you know, do you want it or not, but not, you know, is it valid or not? And as an example, in the Czech Republic, there's only 10 million people and there's 37 stores dedicated exclusively to minimalist footwear. That's a big deal. And so a lot of what we're doing for the rest of 19 is gearing up for what we think we can do overseas in 20 as well. Got it. Yeah, that's awesome. And like speaking, speaking of that, and like, and one thing I, I do want to talk about is kind of like jump back a little bit real quick, because like when we last spoke on the podcast, so like in, I mean, in 2017, I think you guys did like what you said, uh, like 5 million? Uh, 17 was, I think, five and a half, five and uh, a half. somewhere right around there. And yeah. then so last year, you did nine, you said? About uh, 8.8, 8, yeah. 
Yeah. So it's like, what? So now, I mean, looking back on, on t- last year, like talking about 2018 again, like what exactly was your strategy from going to five and a half to eight? Well, first, let me be clear. Um, we, uh, <laughs> in change was great, but I think we could have done 10 had we not run out of inventory on our best selling products. Right. So, uh, so we're happy with the results, but well, I'm never happy with the results, but be that as it may, uh, I, I, I've got to be candid. I don't remember. I think a big chunk of it was that we started to spend more money on advertising than we had before. And frankly, I think part of the challenge was, uh, a finding ways of doing that again, that are ROI positive. And I'll say more about that in a second, but also, um, Oh, wait, I, I lost that thought. That's here's my Friday brain. Uh, doing that and monitoring that is really a big thing. And what I mean, or I'll give you an example of what I mean. So there's a grid that I think of when I think about advertising. And it's uh, top of funnel, which is people who are just finding out about us versus bottom of funnel, people who already know about us, about us, whether they purchase from us or not. And there's branded content, people who are specifically searching for us by name and non-branded content. Sometimes the non-branded is top of funnel because people are looking for minimal shoes. They don't know we exist, for example. Sometimes it is non-branded content, or non-branded advertising that uh, uh, where people do know about us, but they just didn't see us in the course of that particular search. And then we just want to get in front of them. And, and having different goals and different requirements for each one of those overlapping quadrants uh, was a big piece of what we're developing. And then also developing a strategy for that content that like that awareness funnel that I talked about before moves people down that awareness funnel. So imagine for the sake of argument, somebody bumps into a video that you put on Facebook that's just, Hey guys, don't you like shoes or (laughs) something? And, and then if they, if they watch that video, then Facebook will tell you that they've watched that video and you can retarget them with the next ad. It's like, Hey, you said you like shoes. Here's more shoes or whatever. By the way, that's our best performing ad. And, um, uh, so creating the entire strategy based on what people, how people first found you and then what they do next and building out kind of a matrix of all the things that that you can do to help them find out more about what they're looking for and and give them the answers that they have questions about. Uh, that becomes a really intricate web of information and content management. And that's something that we we built out a lot of last year. Got it. Yeah. And then, I mean, now obviously like you can ride that and given your inventory doesn't, <laughs> yeah. well, you have inventory. Um, yeah, I mean, that, that's always great. I feel like that's one of always, you know, the hardest problems to solve is like, how can you do that in an effective and, and profitable way and to be able to figure that well, out? It, it's, it's it, not, only, not only is it hard, we, we have some friends who are in the investment community and I, we had them take a look at some of our numbers and they literally said, how did you do this? And I said, well, um, I'm, this is actually, an, it's an interesting answer that I gave. I said, I'm smart enough to know what these agencies are doing or not doing. I, I remember I, I had a conversation with a guy who was the director of digital for a billion dollar plus company. I'm not going to mention the name. And I'm having a weird conversation with him for, I couldn't figure out why it was so peculiar with a guy who was the director of digital for a billion dollar plus company. And then it hit me and I asked him, have you ever done any of these things like written a Facebook ad or written an AdWords ad or managed a Google shopping campaign? And he said, no, 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 no. My job is just to hire the agencies to do that. 
And I said, well, if you've never oh. done it, I said, if you've never done it, how do you know if they're good at what they're doing or not? And he said, well, you know, they came highly recommended. I said, just so you know, every agency that you mentioned you've worked with, I fired because they couldn't do a good enough job for me. And you're a multi-billion dollar company. And so that that's the thing. For, for people that I work with, um, when the relationship starts, I quickly become one of their one of two things, either their most favorite client or their least favorite client and least favorite when I discover that what they're doing isn't working and I call them on it. And for some reason, people don't like it when you tell them that they're not good at what they do or that it's just not working and they try to change the topic or, you know, wave their hands and make you look somewhere else or, or look at the numbers in a way that doesn't really add up. And, uh, uh, and then most favorite, because if I'm working with someone really smart, I know almost as much about what they're doing as they do, which makes it so they don't need to explain things to me, but it also makes it so that I can be a useful participant in the strategy and structure of what we're doing. And my goal is simply to have nothing but people for whom I'm their favorite client. And, uh, and if I have to find smarter people along the way, uh, where I can, cause this is one of the other things about growing a business. There are opportunities and ad channels and mm, various things that you can do, activities you can engage in that you don't have access to until you have a certain amount of revenue or a certain amount of growth or a certain amount of, you know, some other metric, it depends, but usually revenue. And it's frustrating to me because I know what a lot of those things are, but we're still not quite there yet. We're still, you know, two, three times uh, away from where we need to be to have enough cash to do those things. But we have gotten access to to uh, some more and better channels and opportunities, et cetera, as a result of where we are now. And and so it may be that I need to up-level some of the things I'm doing or people that I'm working with when we get to those points. Um, but if I'm really lucky, then that's not the case. And, and the only reason is simply that the people who can really do some of that super cool crap, they they know it's super cool and they've just raised their prices until the only people working with them are bigger and bigger companies. And we just hope that they are willing to lower their prices for us because we become one of their most favorite clients and they like working with us better than working with you know giant corporate overlords. Right. And, and one thing I really like that you said is like, you need to know how to do it yourself or you just, you, you can't keep an eye on it. You can't measure it. You, you don't know well, if someone's doing a good job. Well, at the very least, you have to know what the numbers, what the metrics, what the KPIs, what the results really mean and how to analyze them. Uh, and it's hard to do that if you don't know the ins and outs of how these platforms work. I don't care if you've never written an ad before. You can you can hire and manage an AdWords agency or a, or a Facebook content creation agency without having to know how to do it yourself. But if you if you don't know how to look at the results and know if what they're even if what they're producing is good enough according to your boss, you need to know whether what they're doing is actually as good as can be done. And boy, I don't even know how to describe how it is that you would know that. Or maybe you just need to know like that thing of paying attention to branded versus non-branded, top of funnel versus bottom of funnel. Just doing that alone. I've talked to so many people who are responsible for multi-million dollar brands who who don't even know what I'm talking about when I say that, which is stunning. Right. It's like you just have to know enough to like keep people accountable, basically. Yeah. 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 Like, you don't, and, we're not saying you have to go learn and like, oh, be the best Facebook ads person in the right, world. Right. But you need to know enough to know that that person's not BSing you. And, 
Well, and you know what else you need to know? You need to know how to respond to people when they call you and say, well, I'm sure that I can do way better than your current agency. You need to know how to know if they're full of shit or not. And most of the times they are are because they haven't looked at your account well enough or they don't know the history of why you got to where you are. I talked to someone about that today, actually, who said, well, I think your homepage needs to do the following thing. I said, that's cool. It used to do that. And then we split tested that against doing it the way we're doing it now. And this way did better. Oh, well, you know, well, don't you want your site to look the particular, this certain way? I went, I want my site to help people buy shoes that are good for them. This, the, the, how it looks is secondary to that. Most people think that they're one and the same, but that's not necessarily true. And so the line that I say to people who, who are trying to come in and replace somebody that I'm currently working with, I say, look, there's two things. One, I have a lot of opinions and I just don't care what any of them are. I just want to see the data and see what's working. And the problem is for many of these things, you can't test one agency against another. There's no good, well, I was going to say, there's no good way to split test AdWords ads with one agency against another. And I'm pausing because I've thought of one or two ways that may work. And, and hell, I may as well tell you what they are. So it may be possible that you can split up your audience geographically and divide the country into two groups, not uh, down the middle, like um, by, well, there are a number of, of demographic bits of information you could look at where you could make a good bet that if you split your audience between uh, people who live in San Diego, North Fork, Idaho, or whatever North Fork is, uh, New York City, and one half of Philadelphia, uh, and then compare that to people who live in in Tampa and uh, pick another weird place, um, um, Minnetonka or whatever. You know that you can that those are similar enough that you could have one agency targeting one geographic section and the other targeting a different geographic section. That might work. But boy, that would be complicated. But again, yeah, you need to know how to how to keep people accountable, know if what they're telling you is the best they can do is the best that anyone can do uh, and find a way as best as you can to have a process for testing people and seeing uh, what someone can or can't do. And you've also got to be careful about uh, getting bored and thinking there's greener pastures past your boredom uh, because there's some times where you know an agency is doing a good job and you just don't have to hear from them very much and they're they really are doing as pretty much as good as you can get and then you know some pretty young thing comes up and calls you and 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 it's like well you know maybe it is time to switch things up it's like oh jesus maybe it's not <laughs> yeah totally um i know that happens a lot and you even see some companies end up getting burned with that mindset um, they actually end up getting worse results. But I, I want to jump back to one thing you mentioned that I think is um, really good is about the, the site design thing. It's like, oh, don't you want your site to look great? It's actually kind of funny. Like the, you know, the more brands that we work with and the more that we see things, it's so funny. Like the uglier, I mean, not actual uglier, not ugly, but ugly, like, right. the, you know, best practice uglier they get. <laughs> the further it gets from like best practice and beautiful, like, you know, more text, more reviews, yeah. more this, more yeah. that the better the sites convert, like, and it doesn't matter what revenue level. It's like, even at the eight-figure revenue level, it's like, ah, oh, the site's ugly. It's full text. It's like, yeah, it converts to double what the old one did. Right, right. Which is yeah. awesome. Um, and again, I have a lot of opinions about what's going to work on the, on the conversion side that I just don't care about until I see the data. But I'm the first one to say, let's try something that is not about some big like uh, the hero image of our website when you go to the site what you see right now in that top section above the fold before you scroll uh, and i don't know what you're going to see because we're testing a few things but all i can tell you is we tested maybe 20 things that it didn't matter none of them made a difference and they were radically different video versus a still image 
different kinds of still images, different kinds of headlines, where we put which kind of buttons. We tested a lot of stuff. And there's probably, possibly better options than what we have right now. But the one that we're the ones that we're running right now are better than what we did before. And the, some of the ones we did before, the things that people say, well, that's what you have to do. It's like, okay, that's what you think. Yeah. And one thing is you can't argue with the data, which is what's so great about e-commerce. And when we're selling online, it's like, it's literally like, all right, let's, oh, good idea. It's like, let's see. Let's actually well, find you know, out. You can argue with the data, but you got to be clear about why you are. So this is a conversation I had with someone right before you and I started chatting, which was someone saying, don't you want your brand image to be whatever? And there's an argument to be made for having a brand image being a particular way that reduces conversion. And one argument could be if you're going to be trying to raise money from people who think things need to look a certain way. So uh, it's a crazy thing to say, but it's kind of like people that I know who spend a lot of money on pay-per-click advertising that doesn't convert well. It's because their boss wants them to see that, wants to be able to show how much traffic they're getting. He's not concerned with the sales, but uh, in my mind, they make no sense. Um, but there are business reasons that, that where it could it could make sense. You just got to be clear about that. Right, right. And um, oh man, looks like we're starting to run out of time. Um, you mean we're going to die? <laughs> yeah, time flies. We were talking about before the call. Time flies. It's already the next year. <laughs> now we're dead. We died. Uh, I knew it. <laughs> but before we, well, we're almost dead. But before we die, do you have any closing thoughts uh, that you'd like to end on? Rosebud. Um, other than that, let's see. Uh, I can't think of anything that would be important other than your listeners are not clearly not buying enough zero shoes. <laughs> I'll link it up down in the show notes below. Where can we go to learn more about you and your company? You might find this hard to believe, but we have a website. It's this cool oh. thing. It's kind of like a an advertisement or a magazine or like it's like slow motion television or kind something. Kind of like a billboard. Almost. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a lot like a billboard. Um, if you had a big computer like sitting on a big pole on a road somewhere and it was only showing one thing, it'd be a lot like that. So we've mentioned it a bunch of times. And if you go to zero shoes, X-E-R-O shoes dot com, you'll find us. Or, you know, frankly, if you go to Z-E-R-O shoes dot com, you'll find us as well. And oh. this is a wait, fun story. I will tell you, there was a guy who was squatting on that domain. And I said, I'd love to buy it from you. And he said, $50,000. And I said, you are insane. Wait, and did I you said, approach him like as yourself? Like, yeah. hey, I'm, yeah. I'm Steven from zeroshoes.com with an um, X. I've, I have actually, uh, my, the first time I approached him with a fake name and, and, and throwaway email address. And so Is that I when he said, said 50000 I think he started at twenty. Okay. And then he said 50 to me. And I said, you're insane both times. And then, um, well, the first thing I did, he was just running pay-per-click ads on his site. So I just started, I created an ad that only ran on his site. And it was costing me 10 bucks a month to get clicks from that site, which, and you know, he made a dollar or two. Uh, I thought that was pretty funny. But then he got smart to that and just, you know, took everything down. And then one day I noticed that there was a, another company who bought the domain and I sent them an email and I said, you bought this domain and undeniably you're going to be benefiting from our trademark 
and our and the traffic we're getting to our trademark term because of people's typos and and autocorrect and whatnot. And I have two choices. I can go to the administrative body for domain names. I can, and I can petition that that you are squatting on my trademark, and you're going to just lose the thing entirely. But it'll cost me about two thousand dollars to to do that. Or I'll just give you a thousand bucks if you give it to me right now. And they emailed me back that day and said, uh, "Here's where you send your thousand dollars." Wow, that's awesome. <laughs> that's great. I- I've always yeah. wondered how people do that. Is it like, oh, the fake email? It's like, oh, Dark Lord emailed me. He wants to buy this domain. Let's see. <laughs> Versus like, oh, hey, the guy who I know owns the real version of my domain, he emailed me. It's like, all right, arm on a leg, please. Thank you. Yeah. yeah, that's great. That's great. So I'll link that up down in the show notes below, spelled correctly, um, <laughs> as well as like some of the SEC stuff you talked about um, and things like that. And, it's just slash yeah. SEC? Uh, slash SEC. And yeah, and of course, you can find us all over social media. We're either at or slash zero shoes anywhere you can think of. Wonderful. And that's with the X people. X. That is with an X people. Awesome. Yep. So thanks so much for coming on the show again. Really appreciate Really, really appreciate it. Really great to catch up. Thanks so much. Oh, quite. All right. Cheers, man. Talk soon. Now, listener, before I sign off, stop me if this sounds familiar. Your email marketing is stuck. You feel like you could be doing email better. You're not generating enough email revenue, and you feel like you're leaving money on the table. But you don't have the time to figure email out yourself or or do it on your own because you have a business to run. Imagine this. Imagine not having to worry about leaving money on the table with your email marketing. Imagine not having to figure out what to send, when to send it, how many emails should look, what automation you need, what segments you need, how often you should be contacting your email list, or just worrying about sending the next email. You don't have to worry about any of that. Imagine having peace of mind knowing that your email marketing is generating sales in good hands. At Wavebreak, we help Shopify stores maximize their email marketing revenue. That's it. We don't do anything else. And we've created a system called the Wavebreak method that, number one, makes you less dependent on Facebook or other marketing channels. Let's say something bad happens. Facebook says, see you later, Shopify store, and they just completely kill your ad traffic overnight. You don't have to worry. You don't have to stress because you're good to go because you have a cushion of email revenue. You don't have to worry about how or what your wife is going to do or if you're going to be able to make rent or if you're going to be able to pay people because you have this cushion of email revenue to rely on. Number two, the second thing this does is huge. And it's how stores scale from seven figures to eight figures uh, to nine figures. And the secret is repeat purchases. The Wavebreak method gets rid of one-time buyers and increases repeat orders. Number three, it keeps your email list engaged. You don't have to worry about Black Friday and beyond. We'll figure out the ideal amount of times that your list needs to be contacted to maximize revenue, and then we'll execute it for you. If you want to learn more about this system and how we can work together to apply it to your business, go to wavebreak.co to schedule a call with me. And I'll personally send you my calendar link and we can chat one-on-one. Now, I don't have unlimited time to do these calls. I can only do a couple of them per week. So if you want to get your call, uh, go sign up at wavebreak.co for it as soon as possible and we can talk about how we can work together. Thanks for listening to this episode. Subscribe to the show on iTunes to get notified of new episodes as soon as they drop. 